Welcome to Not So Standard Deviations. This is episode 21. Uh, I'm Roger Pang from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and I'm here as usual with Hillary Parker of Stitch Fix. Hey, Hillary. Hi, how are you? Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention that we want to mention before we get into it is, um, you know, for those of us, for those, sir, for those of you who are new listeners to the podcast, uh, we just want to mention that we have a Patreon page. Uh, where you can help uh, support us in our endeavors. Um, and it's uh, if you just go to patreon.com slash nssdeviations. You can see our Patreon page, and you can support us at the $1 per episode level or at the $2 per episode level where you would get a really cool uh, hex stick, and not-so-standard deviation hex sticker um, that, um, that we have designed for you. <laughs> um, the other thing I want to uh, mention is that you know, if you ever want to send us any feedback, any comments or whatever, you can uh, email us at nssdeviations at gmail.com. Uh, you can also tweet at us at nssdeviations. Um, and um, lastly, I just want to mention that we also have a book out now called Conversations on Data Science. Uh, which is available through LeanPub, and I'll put the link in the show notes, uh, which uh, has, a lot, uh, has transcripts of a number of our kind of uh, more popular conversations, I should say. Um, so if you want to go through that, if you want to, for example, if you just started listening to the podcast and you want to catch up on some of the things that we've talked about um, and you don't want to listen through every single episode, uh, it may be more efficient to just kind of you know, read through some of our older episodes. So, uh, And that book will be continuously updated as we kind of you know, add more episodes to the podcast. So it's a living document, as they might say. Um, so anyway, so that's, uh, I just wanted to start off with that. And, um, and so in this episode, I guess we're going to talk about polling, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, politics generally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, it should be, it's worth saying perhaps that for longtime listeners, they know this is not really a political podcast at all. No, yeah. There are probably like any number of better political podcasts out there. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's a 538 has a podcast. I think the New York Times just started an election podcast. They, yes, they did. I, they, I think they might even have more than one. I, I've lost track. Oh, of really? How like many the quant one and then the non-quant one. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I actually, you know, it's funny. One of the first podcasts that I got really into was The Political Junkie from NPR. It was like a sub-segment of All Things Considered. Or, no, it was a sub-segment of Talk of the Nation. Do you remember okay. that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, and so anyway, just there's a lot of good ones. Like, <laughs> it's probably like the most established podcast territory out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> there's always something to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, but I thought, I guess the reason why I wanted to talk about this is one, I am completely glued to this election. Are you, are you following it closely? You know, I have, I have kind of been, uh, I've been kind of purposely ignoring it for quite a while now. Yeah. Uh, but I have been, I'm now completely sucked in. Yeah. <laughs> I was the same way where I was ignoring it. So I, first of all, we should, I mean, we should point out this American election. And, uh, yes. Clinton in case it's not immediately clear. Yeah. yeah. In case there's, I mean, there might be other interesting elections going on throughout the country, right? That's there's true. Yes. Brexit yeah. recently. Yeah. That's true. Yes. Uh, but like. And we do have like, a very international audience. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm sure though, I'm sure everyone who's international is like, oh, we're so sick of hearing about the U.S. election. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that on Twitter a lot where people are like, I'm muting all election tweets from the U.S. But... <laughs> Although. You know, Oh, go on, go on. No, so I, was, I was just in uh, China for two weeks. And, yeah, uh, I was going to ask. And I was kind of dreading, actually, like people asking me about <laughs> the election. Uh, yeah. But nobody seemed to care. So it was actually very refreshing. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Were you visiting family? Yeah, you know, just on vacation there. And, oh, uh, you know, my brother lives out there. So, right, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, we were just hanging out. And um, 
That's yeah, so it's a very cool. different world out there. Right. Did you do any work while you were out there, by the way? I did no work. Yeah. Yeah, it was a full-on vacation. But you do study, like, pollution in Chinese cities, right? I, I, you know, I actually don't. Uh, you oh. know, I kind of know people who do, but uh, I've never yeah. done, like, a study in China. Oh, um, I'm, I'm, like, really surprised, actually. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, it's... Uh, uh, it's just never happened, but um, uh-huh. I've, I've seen a lot of the data, though. And so, right, yeah. And I've, and I've breathed a lot of the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Well, so, anyway, anyway, I guess that's a... No, I, I, I mentioned that only because, like, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter about people, uh, or on Facebook, kind of people going to other countries and then kind of being accosted by you know, the people there and being like, what the hell's going on, you know, <laughs> right. in the U.S.? So, yeah. Um, like anyway. making some... I was going to say, in some ways, this is a very relevant topic internationally, just because I feel like it will, like, completely disrupt international relations. If... <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. Yeah. Hopefully not, yeah. yeah. But, um, but, yeah, so... But, so, kind of the reason I want to talk about it is just because I... I thought in some ways it might be interesting for us. First of all, I think that polls are probably the first way that the average person comes across statistics. Like that's like inferential statistics. Um, And I think that the way that they're reported on is confusing, right? I mean, I think there's been a lot of progress, obviously, with Nate Silver and 538 and like the upshot. Um, But it still is like you hear this like margin of error term all the time. And then I think fundamentally the inference versus prediction problem that's like this like kind of central problem in stats generally is like a major player obviously in in elections right where yeah. it's like and so I, I guess i just wanted to like reflect on that a little bit and kind of how how you as a statistician might like how how you parse elections and I, I can share how I kind of parse them too. And like, but so another thing is my brother is a, he was a political reporter for a long time and he's just like generally extremely into politics. And so I've had this conversation with him a lot because he, he'll be like, like, I don't understand this thing about polls. And I was like, well, <laughs> let me swoop in here. <laughs> I can explain this one. Did somebody uh, say polls? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But then I also, I, I totally admit that I like, you know, the big disclaimer with this, this episode is that I don't think that I, I'm sure I have a ton to learn, uh, generally about polling. Um, so yeah, anyway, anyway, so yeah, what, like when you hear, when you hear a newspaper report, like, oh, this poll had this margin of error, like what, what do you assume that means? So, um, good question. I mean, I think, in a very strict, there's a couple of things I think about when I think about political polls. Um, but so in a very strict sense, you know, typically they'll say, you know, plus or minus 3% or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually that's because they polled like a thousand people or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the, whatever the square root of, you know, whatever the square root of that, of that is something like plus or minus 3%. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so, I mean, in the strict sense, it's kind of like, well, that's, um, you know, the actual, so if you think about you know, what are they estimating? They're estimating the average, um, you know, the kind of the probability of voting for a certain person, right? And so that's the kind of estimate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that, you know, that has that tr- the true value across. So if you were, what, so what's the true population value? It's uh, everyone, in, in, you know, let's say you define everyone who's an eligible voter or likely voter. Uh, every, if you were to ask everyone that question, then taking the average, you would have the population mean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't ask everyone, so you take a sample, and then your margin of error kind of tells you, you know, roughly speaking, 
you know, where might the true value be relative to what you estimate, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, is, is that what you think of it? Yeah, <laughs> in, no, in a, I definitely, sense, I, right? yeah, yeah, I definitely think of it, I, I assume it's, yeah, the standard deviation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or two times the standard deviation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of interesting. So when I was talking to my brother about this, like years ago, he, he, his interpretation of the margin of error was like, it was like, oh, it like has to do with whether or not the poll's completely wrong. Like, like plus or minus 3%, that it could be like, I, I don't even, now that I'm even saying that aloud, I'm not even sure like what, <laughs> how he reasoned this through, but this sense of the extent of wrongness, you know, like, like whether or not right. the poll is just completely off base. Um, and actually, you know, it's funny because I can understand why people would come to that place because, for example, in the primary season here, there was, like, the state of Michigan, <coughs> I didn't follow it super closely, but I think that it was, like, drastic, the results were drastically different than the poll. That's right, yeah, in the, yeah. during the primary, right, yeah. Right, right. And so then it's a question of, like, I mean, I think for the general public that really throws into question like what do these polls even mean and and it is it, it would be nice to be able to explain like oh this is you know within the expected you know it might not be within the 95 percent confidence interval but it is within the like 99 versus like oh they're so back to this like prediction problem like i don't think that when people communicate about polls they do a good job of explaining state changes you know like not like not like states, but like, <laughs> like people changing their minds or some event yeah. happening that yeah. like causes a bunch of people to change their minds. And so I think that's why people get so confused about polls because well, they see variance due to state changes rather than like statistical variance. Yeah. Well, I think, I think your point about how like polling is often people's kind of first introduction to, to really to inference. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think, uh, yeah, inference is not an easy topic, right? No, no. And in some ways, this is like the hardest version of it. It's, it's <laughs> like, a very complicated yeah. way to be introdu int introduced into inference, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's also, it's complicated and there's like a lot at stake, right? So it's kind of yeah. a bad combination in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I think so, I think a lot of, um, you know, I think what you're talking about is you know, there's a lot of confusion over kind of like, well, what's the population and what's the parameter that you're trying to estimate, mm -hmm. you know? And the population, in some ways, is shifting over time, um, because, like you said, you know, people are changing their minds, or uh, and uh, or people who are likely to vote may be changing over time. Yeah, and, or like the Democratic National Convention happens. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, like that was. I mean, I don't know how much you've looked at those, like the predict, like the polling averages, but like, psh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, after that, the, just... you mean like the convention bounce things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so I think. Uh, you, you have like an inherently difficult topic and you're kind of mixing it with an application that's that's like very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and then it's kind of, and it's not no surprise that when you just throw some numbers on the television screen, it's a little confusing. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so here's some follow-ups, which is that I was recently talking with someone else at Stitch Fix about how, um, so I don't know how much you've been on 538 or the Upshot, like, looking at kind of the daily they sort of have these pages like who will win the election right and you can go through and see like you know the polling average over time and they and then they specifically i think both of them do this sort of probability of winning rather right. than the problem like the you know voting percentages right um and so like watching those change over time and like state by state breakdowns and i was thinking about that from the 
like business analytics perspective because it's actually like the perfect dashboard. <laughs> like like anyone in business spends all this time like trying to like come up with dashboards and I love them because they have context and they're written and they're updated and they like communicate exactly how often they update it and like you can like click through to deeper dives on the methods if you want. And I like I've genuinely been like, oh this is exactly what like as a business we need like we shouldn't just throw graphs on we should have like paragraphs explaining them and we should right. have digest every once like you know like even they like no one is acting like okay now that we have the dashboard what happens a lot in business they'll be like make the dashboard and then the decisions will make themselves right, right. <laughs> instead with this it's like yeah we have this dashboard we have contacts and yet we still have a weekly podcast to go through it because we know that like just throwing numbers even with contacts is still not enough to really understand like what's going on um, right. And then I've also thought about how <laughs> I like in some ways dashboards can be so unhealthy because you go and you check like so frequently. <laughs> 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 and that I mean, that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem in business generally where, um, you know, like people will talk about like managing, like especially like sea level people, like managing their expectations. They wake up every morning. Look, they're like, oh, no, this number's down. Like, why is it down? And um, and so like having some way of communicating like this is not a, like like don't worry about this like number going down it's not enough to worry about versus like oh yeah sound the alarm like something drops substantially um well that's i mean that's that comes down to you know noise basically right i mean there's variability right right uh, and understanding yeah. kind of what level of variability is expected and what it's not yeah, um, but then yeah, I, as you as you said, that's so obscured in this case because the variability is from two sorts. Like, there's the inherent variability of polling, right, and like measurement error, <laughs> right, and then there's the variability of uh, like sentiment within the country and how much right, people are yeah, touching. yeah. There's the kind yeah. of like the statistical variability, which just comes from the sampling. Yeah. Um. Uh, but then there's actually kind of like I guess you'd call it genuine variability, which comes from just people kind of changing their minds or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that all gets kind of integrated together in, in all these polls. Right, right, yeah. In these dashboards, yeah, I should say. I mean, how would you how would you do things differently? Like, I remember when 538 came out uh, with the percentage win, and I was like, why didn't they do odds for that? Like, like, in sports, you have, like, betting odds, and I feel like that's intuitive. And having the polling proportion and the, like prediction percentage on kind of the same scale is confusing um oh i see yeah i, I was gonna i was gonna say you find like odds more i don't uh, find difficult. odds more intuitive really but i like the idea of having a different type of number you know what i mean ah i see yeah yeah, yeah. but um, i guess at this point people seem to understand that 538 is doing something different than um than like the polling average yeah, right. I think, well, I, honestly, you know, I don't know if you recall, I don't remember how many elections ago this was, but, uh, you know, 538 first started doing that uh, in terms of, like, the percentage, the probability of winning, basically, right? Mm -hmm. um, and people were extremely confused by it. I don't, do you recall that? Yeah, no, exactly, because they're like, why is this saying it's 70%? Like, no, no one's ever won 70% of the vote. It's right, like, yeah, no, and also, yeah. like, you know, so, like, the I, I still don't remember which election it was, but anyway, the two candidates... Uh, you know, in terms of the polling averages, they were relatively close, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it didn't seem like so it didn't seem like you know one should have a seventy percent chance of winning, right? It's mm -hmm. just, uh, anyway, so there was a lot of confusion over that, and I think I don't see the same confusion this time around. But yeah, um, in a way, I'm, that's good because that means like 
things can change. <laughs> <laughs> people can learn. Yeah, yeah. But then, I mean, we do socialize, like, people within betting contexts, like, understand, like, you know, like, sports people understand odds pretty well, I think. Um, yeah. And so, it's, like, kind of like you can teach people to, like, whatever, <laughs> like, with enough time and interest, people will eventually learn, you know, up to some threshold of statistical concept. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um... But yeah, no, I think, I, I guess if I were doing it differently, I would at least try to do the scale different, but maybe you're right that it doesn't matter so much uh, anymore as it did in the early days. Um, yeah. But more than that, I guess, like, maybe more immediate communication of that difference between, like, I just from, like, talking with these political folks who don't have um, the background in stats, like, communicating that, like, you fundamentally cannot model the sentiment at all like it's like it would be like basically impossible to model um like so to figure out the like the shape of that curve <laughs> it's like like we're very good at like measuring you know the percent of people who say they're going to vote for this person on this day and like we understand the variability there and that's like you know most people in statistics are well trained in that but like modeling whether or not some like you know, event will occur, like modeling the convention bump, for example, is like harder. And even that's easier. That's like somewhat easy because at least you have historic data. Right. Whereas like modeling whether or not some controversy is going to affect a candidate is like, you know, extremely hard. Um, right. Yeah. Because every candidate is kind of unique. And so. Yeah. 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 So, so. When, I, I'm curious when you look at something like 538, right? So, you know, they have a couple of different methodologies. Mm hmm. And uh, I, I'm just wondering, like, you know, what do you think of the... So they have, like, something like... There's, like, the polls-only forecast, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which just takes polling data. Uh, then there's uh, the now cast, which I guess is a form of polling. Um, like, who would win the election today? Yeah. Uh, and then the last one is this polls plus, which is, like, takes polls, but also has, like, other kind of data, e economic data, historical data. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, do you have any thoughts about the kind of different methodologies? I mean, no, like I don't, I haven't, I haven't looked into them that much. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's all going at this, I guess. Wait, so what's the difference between the now cast? The now cast is like, if the election were held today. Uh, yes. Who would yeah, win? Who would win? And then what's the, then, <laughs> so what's the, the poll, like the first one? So polls only. Uh -huh. It's just like, I guess whatever polls are out there say today, mm -hmm. um, we take the average of that. Yeah, but then it's still converted to, like, the probability of winning. Yes, yes, the, yes, it is converted to the probability of winning, yes. So then how is that different than the nowcast? <laughs> uh, I think cause they, maybe because they ask different questions. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure, but, yeah. but I, I, that's a different thing. I think I, in terms of the, I, I'm kind of interested in terms of, like, the polls plus, which takes the polling data plus kind of other external data and I, I'm trying, wondering what you thought if that other external data had value or not yeah I mean I well that's an interesting like almost like an overfitting question you know what I mean like where you could look at the historic data I would wonder I would want to know how variable selection happened with that because surely the variable selection ha like if it's conventional wisdom politically of like oh, you know, when the economy is down, Democrats usually win or something like that. Um, that would be, like, it's it's a little bit of, like, people would say that because of trends in the past. 
and then incorporating it into the model and using it to predict things in the past. Like, it could... The variable selection seems inherently, like, overfitting to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I don't know. I, I haven't read like the kind of their detailed document of how they run the models. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a general question of whether, you know, should I, you know, the, so the polls only, you could argue, um, it uses data that are in, in some sense most relevant you know, mm-hmm. to, to the question at hand, which is like we literally ask people, who would you vote for? Mm-hmm. And they tell us. <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, ignoring any kind of problems done, you know, that might be involved in conducting the poll. Um, whereas, uh, you know, when you add like this historical data, whether it's economic data, whether it's um, kind of just historical trend data in terms of polling averages, um, then you're saying, well, okay, the, the data that we collect right now at this moment is valuable, but it's not the most, it's not necessarily all that we, you know, we, we, it's not the only thing that we, we can use, right? It's kind of, I guess, I mean, and that we need to kind of average it out with some other data, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> in some ways, it's kind of a, um, you know, it's like, you know, in, this, in a purely statistical context, you know, should we just look at the likelihood, you know, in terms of, you know, the data that we, current, that we have in hand, or should we kind of smooth it out maybe with some prior based on, you know, historical knowledge or something like that? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, so, okay, here, here's where my thought went trying to illustrate the overfitting problem more because it, so for example, uh, (laughs) this weekend, there's this cookie baking contest. (laughs) I've been talking about this a lot recently. Oh, yes. (laughs) So yeah, the backstory, uh, for our listeners is that in 1992, uh, when Bill Clinton was running for president, People were continually asking Hillary Clinton, uh, like, do you plan to work still? Are you going to, like, stay home in the White House? Uh, you know, like, what? And she she eventually made some comment along the lines of, like, I, I'm not going to stay home and bake cookies and have teas. Um, and, right. <laughs> and this was, like, uh, caused, like, a huge, <laughs> a huge amount of... Uh, <laughs> angst and anger within the U.S. Uh, yes, yes. To the extent that they, uh, ma- this Family Circle magazine ended up uh, hosting a cookie baking contest to try to like smooth things over. And so, so Hillary Clinton versus whoever it was. I don't even oh, God. know. It would have been Bush, Bush, right? Yeah, Barbara yeah. Bush. Like, Barbara Bush, yeah. Baked cookies. <laughs> and so this like, it's, it's supremely ironic because it was started because of Hillary Clinton. And now this year, like the cookie baking contest has gone on every year. And so this year there is a, there's a cookie baking contest between Bill Clinton and Melania Trump, which is amazing. But so it's, it's happening. It's ha- it happened. Like the, oh. the recipes are out, but here's the best part. Yes. The Clinton, <laughs> it is called the Clinton family recipe. And it's literally the exact same recipe that Hillary Clinton submitted in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> So it like has shortening in it. It's so nineties. <laughs> <laughs> How is this not a major news story? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people at this point, all the news surrounding the cookie baking contest is just like, oh my god, why do we still have this contest? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, but I really thought they were gonna like punt it. The the funniest part was that Bill Clinton's a vegan, so it's like it's clearly it's like. Like, these aren't even the Clinton family cookies anymore. <laughs> like, right. The, Cl- the Clintons don't eat these cookies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so so anyway, I ended up this weekend making the Clinton family cookies. Really? And then a, fr- 
friend of mine made the Trump ones, and we had like. Dare I? Dare I ask what the verdict was? Uh, there was a clear, a clear winner. <laughs> okay. Who do you think is the winner? Um, I, I honestly have no basis on which to make this decision. Yeah, well, there's a there's a prior here because the Clinton cookies have won in the past. Oh, really? Yeah, they are oh, actually sorry. extremely gay. <laughs> and the Trump so, cookies are surprisingly bad. Like, like, what do you, why do you say that? Why do you think makes them bad? Uh, I mean, I ate the cookies and they were not tasty. <laughs> no, no, okay, no, I didn't mean why do you say that. I mean. I mean <laughs> I know why you said that, but uh, what? Can you figure out what it is that? No, we've talked. I like there was a lot of speculation about this. Like why? Because they're basic sugar cookies that like aren't even. They're not that sweet, and like they really should have frosting. Uh, uh-huh. And so it's like, and they're stars, which is ironic given Trump's like. I mean, it really feels like they like wanted controversy. Okay. <laughs> like Trump had this whole like horrible star of david tweed and it's just like the uh, whole, yes. yeah so it's like it's like okay like <laughs> he's probably just stirring up controversy for fun at this point but um but yeah i don't i don't know why they they did not i i have no idea why this recipe was submitted because it was like chocolate chip cookies are amazing everyone likes them yeah like you can't go wrong Basic with butter cookies are you know not gonna win <laughs> <laughs> let that be a lesson to all of our listeners yeah anyway so this whole aside was to say that like people do correlate the cookie baking contest with who wins the election right like it's like oh every year except for one like the cookies so it's like would you include the cookie baking contest winner <laughs> in your like polls plus right <laughs> Good question. Yes, is, so, is it a historical predictor of success? Yeah, and like, and what does that even mean? And so, I think what it comes to is like ca- almost causal inference, right? Where people include economy because they assume that changes people's opinion, but have they actually measured it that, or is that just speculation based on like these spurious correlations? I think that's what it, I think. It's the latter. Right? I mean, I don't think there's not like some. Um, complex theory that shows that like movements in this index cause people to think differently about elections i think they've come across yeah so like like you said they've come across a number of predictors that that they think are predictive right yeah i'm sure we're gonna get like so many well you know all of our political scientists but i'm sure i'm sure again like i almost wonder i mean surely people have studied this extensively like whether or not I guess I don't know if, like, people study voting behavior this way versus just, like, looking for these correlations. But surely someone out there is, like, has looked at the psychology of voters and, like, yeah, I guess I'm, not- I'm, I'm more optimistic than you that there is, like, some attempts at this causal link rather than just a correlation. Causal link between, like, whatever factors and people's voting behavior? Yeah, yeah. Not- and, like, yeah. whether or not, like... I mean, I guess this election has really brought this up so much more, like like emotional factors, like what what is causing people to vote for Trump, like like yeah. I feel like that's all the you know think pieces on this, or people trying to figure out the like causal problems, like what combination of the economy and the social situation and just like all the components of two twenty sixteen, like which ones are making this movement occur? Yeah, 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 and I think it, actually one of the more controversial. Uh, scientific retractions uh, of the last like, couple of years. Uh, I don't know if you remember, there was this experiment that was done um, to um, in, in California where they, where they kind of sent people to people's homes. Mm-hmm. Um, to, I think the issue was they were talking about was gay marriage. Yeah, um, Proposition 8. 
I can't. Yeah, something like that. And they yeah. found the conclusion of the of the original paper was that if someone had you know actually talked to someone who was gay or something like that, then they would be they would change their opinions about kind of gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that has some. If that were true, that would have kind of kind of some clear implications for kind of how you might you know reach out to certain populations if you want to kind of change their mind about voting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the original paper was kind of was retracted, but I think actually they, there was a follow-up study that actually kind of, in some sense, replicated that finding, even though the original paper was uh, retracted. So, huh. yeah. Um, so uh, there is, I think, experimental work like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, and actually, and then, uh, yeah, Facebook did some interesting. I mean, I know it's like controversial, but they did some experiments around uh, like social, like creating social cues that other people have voted. And whether yeah. that influence vote turnout, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to mention that actually. That was, I think, that was in two thousand eight. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for that election, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, so I, but anyway, I, I was just, um, I was just skimming the five thirty eight page, and the um, so just the hundreds of the methodology of what they do with the polls. Mm-hmm. Um, so polls only is basically what it sounds like. They use polling data. Mm-hmm. Um, it polls plus and combines the polls with an economic index, which I assume is a, the index I assume is a combination of a variety of predictors mm-hmm. that they kind of boil down to a single predictor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the now cast is basically the polls, polling data, but they, um, they basically, so the poll, even the polling data has like a model associated with it. Yeah. Um, because they, they have to kind of project it out to November 8th. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the now cast basically tells the model today's November 8th, you know, and, and then it kind of, uh, it says what, and tell, and then the model spits out a prediction. Interesting. So, I didn't. I didn't realize the polls had this like modeling component to them. They, yeah, so they do have a. I think there's like a modeling component, which is that they kind of do a regression model against some other some other data, like demographic data, but they don't weight that part of the model very heavily. Okay. Um, and there's oh, also. I think, is it just yeah. re, is it reweighting or is it different than just reweighting? For it's hard to say from yeah. their description, but um, mm-hmm. uh, but also I also get the sense that there's a projection component. So they say, you know, given the given the polling data today, you know, what will the people vote on November eighth? Yeah, right. Um, like, so there's some trend. There's probably some trend modeling there. Yeah. You know, if nothing on. else, those confidence intervals are getting wider, right? <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, that's interesting. But I think. Um, Anyway, the, I, I guess the, the polls plus has always kind of has shown it to be narrower than the polls only. Yeah, um, but I feel like it's. I mean, that's where. I mean, there was. I feel like there was just an article about how Trump supporters actually have a much higher median income, or maybe it was average income, but their income levels were actually much higher than kind of the common narrative has been in the past. Uh-huh. Like they're higher yeah. than Clinton supporters, for example. And so this whole idea that it's like, oh, these are like the downtrodden Americans, it's like, well, I don't know. that's really what's going on. Like like I honestly this is like like I would believe this more if there was something modeling social components like you know, there's just such a like fervent anti-immigration like sentiment. Like that's not included in the polls plus, right? So it's right. kind of like this safe variable, the economy, which I don't think is actually really a play. Uh, well, I mean, I think yeah, yeah. I, it plays some role. I think. I don't, uh, yeah, I guess that's been like I guess I like I guess, it remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, what <laughs> yeah. do I know? I mean, I don't. <laughs> it's, I, the, it's definitely the conventional wisdom that the economy plays a role, but like. I guess this this election feel. I remember I like called my brother out on this because 
over Thanksgiving, we were talking, uh, so this is almost a year ago, right? And, um, and he's been, he's been this political junkie this whole life. And I was like, Alex, tell me please that like, this will not, <laughs> like, this will not happen. Like, try, and, and he was just like, if this happens, everything I knew about politics is like wrong. <laughs> <laughs> But I I really think every, like, kind of political junkie type feels that way this year. It's like, okay, the rule book got thrown out. And so I guess I see the economy as part of the old rule book. You see what I mean? I see what you see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just, like, this has just been, like, all the rules. I've seen tweets, like, I think Nate Silver tweeted something like that, too. I mean, he was, Nate Silver was as guilty. And, like, he gets kind of unfairly piled on for the, he, you know, everyone was guilty of just being like, this isn't really going to happen, you know. This right. Is, in terms so, of the primary. Right. Yeah, in terms of the primary, like he was saying early on. Again, he was when he was kind of functioning just as a pundit and not, it, he wasn't like necessarily doing any modeling, but he gets so lumped in with like these people doing modeling at this point that, um, like anytime he's wrong, everyone's like, "Oh, statistics is terrible." Like they don't know anything, and I don't know. Right. <laughs> Maybe less so now than than you know the original days. But anyway, the point is he's also a person with opinions, right? And he was right. expressing those opinions, and they ended up being wrong. And he's totally like, I think he has an article literally saying like, "I was wrong." Um, right. But yeah, it's been an interesting. Interesting, interesting year for us. Yeah. I actually, uh, one thing I wanted to mention too was, uh, you know, friend of the show, David Robinson had yeah. Oh, yeah. An, amazing, <laughs> an amazing analysis of, sentiment analysis of the tweets. Uh, I still can't believe the Trump campaign lets this happen. But So the, the tweets, you can see it via tweet deck and then it's in the metadata if you like get uh, data from the, the Twitter API of where the tweet is coming from, like what device. And right. so, and then it was known that Trump had an Android. Uh, and then like most of the tweets are from iPhones, <laughs> at least most right. of the tweets recently. And so he did this amazing sentiment analysis of the tweets originating from Android versus iPhone and found that, you know, Trump's tweets were just like general, like the unprofessional angry ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's, well, it's worth mentioning also, just for in case it's not entirely clear, like, most other, oh, not most, a lot of other politicians, including Hillary Clinton and and Barack Obama, you know, they say on their Twitter account, you know, if it's from me, it'll be signed, you know, with my initials. Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, the assumption is that if, if there are no initials there, then it's just some staffer on the on whatever, even the White House or in the campaign, mm-hmm. who's just tweeting out some whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess Trump does not have any indication of that, so it's it's not immediately clear from just the tweets that who wrote what, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. And like, and furthermore, it's part, it's such a central part of his campaign and it's some, it's, you know, it's like his whole, I tell it like it is like, it, it, I don't know. It, it, he wanted the impression that he was tweeting all the time. Um, right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I should say So the, the analysis is great. Actually, it's uh, it's at uh, David's blog, which is variance explained mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And, um, and I, I mean, it's been tweeted all over the place and now, and, um, and it got it got picked up by like every news media, and it um, he even was on he was on TV in Canada, and he was on NPR, All Things Considered. Uh, yeah, 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 it was great. So. And I, I have to say, I think it's also another thing that's worth mentioning is that it's I thought it was just a great data analysis. You know, I think it is um, because one of the nice things that he does is he kind of takes many angles at it. You know, mm-hmm. and he kind of looks at different pieces of evidence and kind of different ways to think about it, and kind of like the sentiment analysis, and also just kind of the frequency of which you know they're tweeting and mm-hmm. and so it, it takes many different angles at it which i think was a great 
example of kind of like what makes, to me at least, what makes a good data analysis. Totally. I totally agree. And then also like the, the technical aspect of it, like he's, this is actually, he used a package called tidy text that he's, um, co-developing with Julia, Julia Siege. I don't know how to say her last name actually. I'm realizing, but Silk, we'll, it's like Silk. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really bad. Now. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a link to her, to her, uh, to her like Twitter. Uh, but yeah. They're, they developed this package together, and um, it's, I mean, the idea is creating a tool so that you can do sentiment analysis or, like, a text analysis using kind of the tidy-verse framework. Um, and so it was also just a really good way of showing off, like, how quickly you can do one of these analyses when you, and this is what, I, I was so lucky to meet David, you know, I guess only a couple of years ago. We met him at the same time. And, um just like bouncing ideas off of him and seeing how fast he's able to do analysis because he just has the whole like tidy verse in his head and right. he thinks of everything that way. And so something that is, I mean, it's not like it's not complicated. And like you said, there's the aspect of just being able to tease out the, the interesting parts of the data is, you know, that's like the art of analysis. Right. But at the same time, he's able to iterate really fast uh, because he just is so bought into this kind of like consistent framework so that doing analysis on like he does, he did a really funny one where he did analysis of the text of pride and prejudice and added in like, like he did the sentiment, he got the sentiment for individual sentences and then added in like Trump's sentiment words to the pride and prejudice text. So it would be like something like, like, oh, Mrs. Bennett, like, was mad at Mr. Darcy. Pathetic. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was extremely good. So so the point is, is like, that's it's like, you know, the tooling is something that allows him to, like, think quickly. You know, he's very fluent in that language. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, also, I think, and it'd be fair to him, like, I think he, he picked a question that, Lots of people are would be interested in. Oh, you know? totally. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that kind of led itself to something that I think that would be of interest to a lot of people. So, yeah. No, um, I guess I brought. I was bringing up kind of like the fluency thing, just to be like, no, no. If it's the type of like I, I always feel like I'm pitching to people the idea of learning this framework. Like it'll allow you to do stuff better. Like it's just, I think you know, the like regardless of kind of like your intuition for interesting stories, like, like just like if you're inspired by the rapidity, is that a word? The rapidness? Rapidness. Yeah. yeah of like developing this. I think that's like, you know, everyone can, can develop that rapidness. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a great, um, yeah. And I have, actually. I have one pitch, which is that I like, this is not, the detail has not been finalized, but I believe, uh, that, um, Jared Lander holds, hosts this um, open statistical, I can't remember the exact title, but like a meetup in New York City. And I'm going to be in New York um, on, like, on election day and the days before. And so I think Dave and I are going to do a, um, like a joint meetup where he does the Trump sentiment analysis and I do the, the Hillary name analysis like, <laughs> before the election. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. So, I am super excited. So <laughs> if you're in New York, you should come by. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to advertise that closer to the date. Yeah, yeah. I'll, get, I'll make sure it's going to happen, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, I don't know. Is there, is there anything else? No, I, guess, I feel like... <laughs> have we just covered all the polling, basically? All the polling, yeah. But I, I, yeah, hopefully it's, you know, 
I guess my hope was just this, like, kind of, like, clear perspective from people who aren't thinking about it, like, thinking about it as statisticians rather than thinking about it as political people. Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I think I, just to step back for a second, I kind of marvel at how um, people like, you know, Nate Silver, and there, there's been a couple of, a lot of other people uh, kind of involved in kind of the use of polling data, how they, they really kind of revolutionized our understanding, or kind of the use of polling data, kind of like, and how they can be made, you know, kind of, in some sense, more useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's interesting because, I, you know, when you look at the, the forecasting stuff that 538's done this time around, like, it's not necessarily, the methodology is not necessarily very different from what they've done in the past, mm-hmm. um, at least in the past few elections. And so it's, um, so there's kind of like, there was this, I think, big jump uh, a couple elections ago and uh, in terms of the methodology, in terms of, you know, different ways of using polling data. And, and it's kind of stuck with it. Now it's like a, now it's like a standard thing that, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of expected to be done now. Yeah, no, totally. Like, I mean, New York Times has the upshot. They have a kind of similar dashboard. And then there's a few others. And even some people I know on Twitter are just uh, updating their, like, they have their own models running. <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah. I think there is this consensus that this is a better way of, yeah, about the problem. Which you know, is, averaging is always better, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The other thing that was funny they they wrote something about like when the models are updated and everything. It'd be great, man, if they could get some like industry people in there to like, <laughs> like if they were using kind of the most recent big data technology, it would be even better. But that's sort of the other interesting part about um, these like data journalists is that. It's not like they have the resources that your average, like, larger tech company would have. Um, right. And so they're kind of doing, like, I, it, it, it was interesting to read that from a technical perspective because I was like, oh, man, like, I wish that, this is the same with academics, too, where you're like, man, I wish I could get these academics, like, using, like, MapReduce or, like, any number of big data tooling. Um, but it's just hard. It's hard because they don't have the resources. Yeah, I mean, I think, and uh, and also they don't really they don't really control the data in some sense, right? I mean, I guess they I mean they get the polling data I think from some provider, right? Yeah, yeah, um, they get from the pollsters, and then, but but still, like the model could be run on, um, like technology optimized for fast model oh, yeah. algorithms. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yes, yeah. yeah. Are you saying that they don't do that or? I'm not sure, but the run times made me think that it's, I mean, I don't, this is not like bashing. <laughs> I feel bad. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I yeah. yeah. But it's like the run times made me think that like it's, it can't be that huge of a data set was my yeah. thought uh, yeah. compared to like your average clickstream data set that oh, yeah. systems are built on. So, but again, like the recommender systems are like companies that make like money from recommendation. You know, there's just, there's like the incentive there to really invest heavily in that technology and it's not cheap. And so... Yeah, uh, like you know, the marginal gain for five thirty eight probably wouldn't be worth it. But at the same time, I don't know. It was just interesting to see where these limitations are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, also probably it's there's a difference in terms of what their focus is. You know. Yeah. Right. Right. Like yeah. they they probably really prioritize a parsable model, whereas your average recommender system is not like <laughs> it's not like in one nice clean like file that's super easily read and not right. completely hacked together. Like all these <laughs> ensemble methods, right? So it's just it's yeah, it's a completely different set of priorities. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well. Um, yeah. So. so 
<laughs> Get out the boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all we had to say on this topic. So. <laughs> um, we haven't done free advertising in a while, I noticed. No, we haven't. Do you have one? Um, I have a random one. Okay, go for Do it. Do you have one? No. <laughs> you, you want to come up with one while I'm talking? Yeah, I'll try to. <laughs> that's like what's what we always do, right? Yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the new listeners, this is the segment of the show where we advertise something that we just really like. And usually I start off with something and, um, and, and Hillary kind of goes through her Twitter feed to find something that she wants to. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that roughly speaking how it works? I actually, okay, I actually realized I do have one now. Okay. Right. So the only thing I have to say, I just, I recently discovered this show on YouTube. It's called The Catering Show. <laughs> this is the second cooking one you've done. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, no, you're Once right. Yeah, no, this is, yeah. Wait, so this is, so this show is called The Catering Show with a K. Um, oh. And uh, it's these two women named Kate who are Australian. And, mm-hmm. uh, and and they're 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 kind of the whole point. It's like they put it, they're kind of supposedly putting on a cooking show, um, but and the and the premise is that the one of the Kates likes to really cook a lot and likes like is kind of like a foodie, mm-hmm. and the other Kate is like allergic to all food. <laughs> I <laughs> so, like that. <laughs> so and and so they have like a six episode season one. And they have like a couple episodes in season two, um, and it's just it's actually it's really really funny. I really it's I think you would like it actually. Okay, yeah, I will check yeah. it out. I like yeah. neurotic people, so yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, so it's on YouTube. You can watch it for free, and um, it's uh, anyway. Awesome. If you want to waste some time. Yeah. How do you how do you keep up with shows like that? I feel like I'm always wanting to watch stuff like that and then forgetting. Um, you know, you just have to like sneak it in whatever you can. <laughs> I I do a lot of watching on planes now. Like that's that like that's the reason I take trips now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah, like like pla- there was just a really good article where someone was like planes are my like selfish me time where you know, I don't get exactly. Wi-Fi, I read books, so yeah. Um, right. Yeah. The one I was going to advertise is, it, this is so, I feel like this is unfair because it's just in San Francisco, but it's also, I take a lot of interest in tech companies where I'm like, this might be the future, right? Like, I mean, okay, that sounds so pretentious, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, I guess. So it's a company where you, um, it, you, it's storage by the item. Um, and you pay like 50 cents an item and then they come and pick it up and then you can get it delivered whenever, like this specific item. And so I like live in a small apartment and I was able to store like my suitcases. I have like a bowling ball. (laughs) I have all these things that were taking up space and they do such a good job of, they take a picture and it looks like it's like the prettiest your item has ever looked. And (laughs) It's just like, I'm just really excited because I was like, oh, this is so, this is so much, even if I had a big house, I would still prefer that someone show up at my door with, like, if I need a suitcase, I just, like, click a button and then the suitcase arrives and I don't have to, like, go into the attic and, like, go through. Anyway, it just, it made me reflect also on how, like, modern life as sort of this, like, like modern life is really different than the idea of like getting a big house in the suburbs and like right. having everything in your basement. Like it's, 
I, I was excited because I'm like I don't love that lifestyle, and so the idea that like there's all these tools that are helping me live in a different way make me happy. So, so wait, was the, what was the name of the company? Oh yeah, <laughs> the name of the company <laughs> is Omni. Uh, okay. I think it's like beomni.com. So I don't know. Okay. I I, was, right. I I may tweet a photo of the uh, bowling ball because okay. it, like, <laughs> I think you have to do. It's that. like gorgeous. It's like <laughs> it's, I think it's because the ball's also like shiny, so it just looks really pretty. It's, and where do they store it? Just like wherever. Like, like a storage facility in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. And so, okay. um, you know, presumably it's just, it's like a way of, I'm sure it's like similar to, you know, if you did the storage yourself, but. Um, and can you like share out your bowling ball? Yeah. To someone? So you can loan things uh, and they that, just get yeah, it through okay. the app. Uh, I'm, you know, you can imagine the possibility. You can get stuff shipped directly to them. So like so many people in San Francisco go hiking and they're go camping. And so you could presumably like buy a tent with a bunch of your friends yeah. Store it centrally and then different yeah. people. Yeah. So oh, yeah. It's, it's just a nice, I don't know. I like the idea of like changing the way people think about owning items. Yeah. 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 No, I like it already. Yeah. <laughs> so move to San Francisco. Oh, it's only in San Francisco? It's only in San Francisco. So I feel a little bad <laughs> for our listeners in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> Try it out. Yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, even if I weren't like when I was in New York, I, I still like following stuff like this just because it does seem like the type of thing that. I don't know, like the way society is changing type of situation. Yeah, it does seem like the future. Yeah, like just these different modes of living that are emerging. Yeah. All right, well, I have to go pick up my son from camp. (laughs) (laughs) So it's going to be a slightly shorter than usual episode. Oh, was he at camp while you were in China? Uh, No, 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 he came with us. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Day camp or overnight camp? Uh, Day camp. Oh, okay, well. Yeah. So, um... All right. Well, I guess that's our that's it for this episode. All righty. All right. Thanks. Bye.